You're listening to Breathe Like a Badass, the podcast for ambitious but anxious women who want to cut through overwhelm, negative self-talk, constant comparison and fear so that they can get the inner calm, clarity and focus that they need to build happy, fulfilling, freedom-filled businesses and lives that truly light them up, which is what we all want, right? I'm Hannah, your host, and I am an E slash INFP. Yes, I can be an extrovert and an introvert almost at the same time. And I live in Southwest London with my coffee, very plentiful supply of chocolate and my partner Ollie. And I use down to earth science-based meditation techniques to support women like you in creating the successful, fulfilling and incredible freedom filled life and business that you deserve. Long story short, I help you to be and love exactly who you are so that you can go out and do the work that you truly love and that really lights you up. In this podcast, I interview some absolutely incredible guests on topics ranging from meditation, mindfulness, habits, the power of routine, how to be kind to yourself and just give yourself a damn break, what it's like when you try things and fail, what it's like when you try things and actually maybe succeed, and how to take all of that hard-won life experience to become more fulfilled women, business owners, partners, friends, parents, or whatever it is that is super important and central to making our lives more meaningful, powerful, and successful, whatever that means to us. This week, I'm talking to Natasha Tiwari, an award-winning psychologist, entrepreneur, and mentor investor who has trained with some of the greats, including the one and only Brené Brown and Deepak Chopra. She's also a licensed psychotherapist and yoga teacher, and she combines her command of strategy with her knowledge of neuroscience, the unconscious mind and ancient wisdom to propel her own entrepreneurial successes, but also the successes of those who she counsels and mentors. Natasha has been featured by major publications, including BBC World, Glamour, GQ, Marie Claire, The Telegraph, The Guardian, The Evening Standard, Huffington Post, Shondaland, Closer and others, and has also guest lectured at the University of Oxford and University College London. It's pretty impressive. I think you'll agree. This conversation was a real joy. I'm genuinely surprised at how much juicy, honest and important issues we were able to cover in 90 minutes. We covered... Natasha's story from super ambitious student to becoming a burnout survivor and how she learned to combine her spirituality with high performance goals, how to be unapologetically ambitious and enjoy the finer side of life without losing your spiritual side, why getting into a state of flow allows you to do difficult things in life more easily and how to actually do that, how to discover and allow yourself to come back to who you really are underneath the noise and the busyness, how our experiences and those generations before us shape who we are and how to heal ourselves from that generational and historical trauma. How slowing down in life can actually really allow you to speed up and reach your goals quicker with more ease. Why you deserve nice things and good things, no matter what. How to set yourself boundaries even if you're busier than you've ever been in your life. What active allyship looks like for white women and women of colour the whitewashing of wellness and appropriation and how we can avoid it, how to emerge from the 2020 coronavirus lockdown, especially if you're an anxious person, and what it means to really remember the magnificence 
of who you truly are. We also chatted about Celeste Ng's incredible book, Little Fires Everywhere, and its stunning Reese Witherspoon and Carrie Washington TV adaptation. And obviously, I fangirled over Brené Brown, which is becoming a bit of a theme in my life in general at the moment. Right now, not gonna lie. As usual, all of the show notes for this episode can be found at my website, breathelikeabadass.com forward slash podcast. Also, if you listen all the way to the end of this podcast, you will discover some brilliant gifts that Natasha has created solely for listeners of this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. It was such a joy. We covered so much incredible stuff. Thank you so much for listening. On with the show. Okay. Hi, Natasha. We are live recording. How are you doing? Thank you for making the time to come on my podcast today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, I'm so excited to be here with you today. Awesome. I love it. Okay, so the first thing that I love to ask my guests, which is completely not related to our conversation, I mean, it might be, there are no rules, but the first thing that I'd love to ask you is, what are you completely obsessed with at the moment or totally loving? <laughs> oh gosh, good question. This is also like the, like a kind of question where you're like, how honest should I be? Okay. So my very honest answer that I'm not hugely proud of myself for is I'm binging through The Sinner. Oh my gosh, this is a TV show that I have not got around to yet. <laughs> what? How? There are so yeah. many. No, Tell me. This, this is season three. Maybe this is the psychologist in me, but I mean, typically the way that the season always starts is that there's this like, you know, very introverted, I feel like he's very like, he's a very father-like figure. Um, he, the, the guy is actually the guy who, um, was into Sandra Bullock in While You Were Sleeping. Um, but now he's like 30 years older, of course. Um, but he's, you know, he's come across some kind of crime where it, it doesn't make any sense, but you know, usually something terrible has happened. Um, and so there's a real unpicking of um, people's psyches and the dark things that people have gone through to try and understand what they've gone through in the past to try and understand how this very bizarre, dark situation in the present has come about. Um, wow it sounds it sounds kind of like like you say kind of dark and interesting so is it a series what what platform is it on is it like netflix or of course like, it's on netflix like okay. i mean are you even a human being during lockdown if you're not <laughs> binging netflix seasons um like that and then also actually i just finished reading um actually again just finished i binged it in a few hours um, the oh gosh, I've forgotten the name of it, but the book which Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington made into a series. Yes, called Little Fires Everywhere. Little Fires Everywhere. I just realised the book's on my desk, um, and actually, I found it fascinating, especially given. I mean, the book really explores some very interesting themes around motherhood, what it means to be a mother. You know, also what it means to be a daughter. Um, what it means when you know you have complicated relationships and then there's a very uh, subtle but powerful exploration of issues around race in wealthy suburbs of America in the book I think definitely I, I happened to then binge the tv show afterwards because I was desperate to see how they portrayed it and it's very different in the tv show but nonetheless I got so into just like I think the thoughts that came about off of the back of that 100% yeah I binged that as well like I mean I say binged like my partner and I 
we have this system which is going <laughs> to reveal probably way more about us than it probably should but we have this system where we take it in turns to choose the tv if we're going to watch tv that night so he's like okay it's my turn to choose or it's your turn to choose and so I was like I want to binge watch this I want to watch this every single day but it was, like, <laughs> it was like my choice so I had to like take it quite slowly but it was well worth the wait and if you're interested in learning more about it and you want to like seriously binge more about it and talk about the themes, highly recommend Brene Brown's podcast because she had the author on one episode and then the next episode she had Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington talking about the adaptation. Ah, yeah, that's really interesting actually because I've had a couple of conversations with friends where I've massively gone off on one, so to speak, like psychoanalyzing what I think was going on for the author, but then also what I think was going on for these women who are actresses by trade, you know, and they've also had their own experiences around womanhood and, you know, all that comes with being a woman in a, in a, in a male industry or a male-controlled industry, you know, and, you know, them also exploring, you know, the way in which that they will navigate characters as actresses, but also as producers. And, so I'd be fascinated to listen. And also Brene is incredible. I had the I had the incredible pleasure of training with her a few years back. And she's just infinitely wise. So yeah, really looking forward to you've given me something uh to not do my work for. Hundred <laughs> percent. Highly recommend it. Yeah, I did see on your website before our conversation that you trained with Brene Brown and I just have so many questions that it could probably <laughs> just be a podcast in itself. She is like the closest thing. Like I am pretty pretty atheist I, I consider myself fairly spiritual and the older that I get the more I'm kind of less sure about these things but she's the closest that I would say that I have to a patron saint in my life like <laughs> I just love her so much I just like everything she says I'm just like yes Brene I agree <laughs> she's was, just I think it, sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you I no it's fine again. I but I think a lot of people feel that way about her and I think it's just because she was she was really one of the first women who came out and spoke about the intricacies that come with the depth of being I think lots of women resonate because it feels like you know the depth that the depth and complexities of being a woman in a complicated world and all of those um, sticky emotions that so many of us have been conditioned to ignore you know we've all grown up believing that good girls don't make a noise and good girls don't make a fuss and and you know and good women behave themselves right and she really gets to the heart of you know, why that's just so not aligned with the truth of who we are. And I think what you said about, you know, the older you get, the more you start having more questions, that also resonates with so many women who perhaps, it's interesting that religion and spirituality are so separated because the purpose of religion is really, I mean, if we take out the patriarchal issue, I mean, it's really to bring us closer to spirituality, right? But we, we live in a world where religion has so much dogma associated. Yeah. Um, the two are so divorced. And so, yeah, it, it has many people in a place where we start wondering, you know, I don't know if I believe in this patriarchal father-like God watching over us, but I do think that there might be more than I can just see. Um, yeah, totally. Absolutely. And it, it's just, I find it so fascinating, like the more that I learn about the mind-body connection as well. And I mean, for me, it's all sort of interlinked and things like that. But I mean, just to, I mean, what a, what a great way to start the podcast we've talked about. <laughs> little fires everywhere we've talked about Brene Brown I mean I'm loving it already and we've only just started so cool <laughs> so however to rein myself in from talking about Brene Brown for the entire time let's talk about you let's talk about your business and what your mission is because I know that you are an award-winning psychologist 
you talk a lot about mental wellness but I know that like you've just mentioned you're also very much into understanding how spirituality fits in with all of that and also what it means to be a woman in this world and all of that good stuff so I'm gonna let you say what's your story like what does being a psychologist mean to you and how have you got to this place where you kind of mix all these different influences yeah sure so um it's always an interesting one when I stop and I reflect because it wasn't always this way where I was so comfortable bringing in lots of different ideas and themes into the way that I think and applying that to my work um so yeah I would say that I describe myself first and foremost as a psychologist um I am endlessly fascinated in why we do what we do um and more so I'm interested in how we heal from the things that have hurt us and left wounds on our minds and our souls. Um, but I'm also, I mean, really interested in uh, the mechanics, if you like, of peak states, like why we feel infinitely happy and why we feel infinite joy and how it is that we heal from trauma so that we can reach states of peak performance and really live the lives that we want to live. Um, and then after that, I would say that I also wear a label as an entrepreneur and investor and investor um, and again same thing that wasn't always the case so uh, I started my career um, doing teach first which if listeners have heard of it like they, they tend I tend to find people either know it or they really don't so if you know it then great if you don't know it the best way I can describe it is like the hunger games in action and um, what the program says that they will do is they say we'll take um, we will take kids from the best universities in the country and we'll put them into the country's worst schools to try and raise the standard. And so what you typically have is um, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed grads um, from really nice universities <laughs> going into these scenarios that they cannot even imagine, you know, like the real, um, real gritty inner city gangland type environments, or at least that was my experience you're trying to raise the standard of education and learning um, and my experience is a little bit unique in that I was the youngest person to ever do the program I started when I was 20 um, so by the time I went into school I was I think something like 21 in one week it was crazy I had I taught seven different subjects to kids from between the ages of 11 and 19 um, I was also in London's most corrupt school the head teacher was embezzling tens of thousands of pounds at a time and it was my first professional work experience, uh, obviously because of my age, um, but also it was my first experience of knowing what it was like to work in a, in a scenario where everything was, like you said, really dark. Um, and what I found for me was that I didn't, it didn't sit right with me working in an environment like that. It just went, it was the total antithesis of what I thought the program would be about and it went against my own moral values. And eventually I ended up, I spent a bit of time in the city, went back and did my master's at university. And while I was doing my master's, I fell into the private education world, which is the absolute you know, opposite of Teach First. I uh, was doing a little bit of tutoring and that quickly developed into doing more tutoring and international tutoring with, I mean, genuinely some of the most famous, or at least the children of some of the most famous people in the world. Um, and that grew into an agency where I hired, hired other tutors. And then it further, you know, it's further now evolved to being a full services firm where we offer the full spectrum of issue, uh, the full spectrum of services their family might need for their child across private education, across mental health, across wellness. And in the journey of developing that company, 
that's really how I began to further develop as a psychologist. What I realized was, was that the children I was working with were experiencing fast transformations. And it's that thing about, I think, often we can be um, unconsciously very competent. We know that we're doing something special. We don't quite know what it is until we go back and unpick our process. Um, so in that time that I was developing as a psychologist, I really made an effort at every opportunity I had that um, I could learn or develop my skill set. Um, and I also, I probably just out of really great luck, had the opportunity to train with some of the you know, leaders in the field like Brené, like Deepak Chopra, um, Esther Perel. I've been so lucky. Um, and I also kind of grew in my capacity as a yogi. Um, I grew up in a Hindu household, so concepts around yoga were never foreign. Um, but when I discovered the physical practice, it absolutely changed my life. It changed my ability to manage my own stress. And just, you know, over time, I went deeper and deeper and deeper. And so if I think about what it means to me to be a psychologist, that's how I've come to be in a place where so many things combine. And I think actually that frame of thinking has also impacted the way in which I think about um, launching ventures or the kinds of uh, angel investments that I'm interested in making. I'm interested in doing things that change the world for the better, that make life better for people. I just love how your story brings in so many different elements that I personally like from a purely selfish point of view. It's just like <laughs> ticking so many boxes that I am also interested in, but also I think that will resonate with so many other people and, and my listeners as well, because so, okay, let's recap. So high achieving university, um, going into a corporate environment or a nine to five environment that was not what you thought it was going to be getting the courage to say, actually, I thought this was going to be for me, but it isn't choosing another path, um, setting up businesses, gaining confidence in your mind and your body, bringing in spirituality, uh, getting your own understanding of what your own Hindu background was and how you were going to kind of bring that more into who you are now and, bringing in what you said you know the aspects of yoga and and not just asana not just the, the, mm -hmm. the postures but also the mindset and you know people talk about the the eight the eight limbs of yoga you know that also includes mindfulness which is obviously the one that I'm majorly obsessed with but also it, everything as part of that and I just think like that's I resonate so much with so much of that even though our stories are like on paper fairly different but I would, I would love to know how you, how, let's talk about how you're able to go from that high achieving background. And like you say, talking a huge amount about high performance and working with some of the most successful, famous people in the world and how you square that with your spirituality and the importance of yoga and I guess just self-compassion. And I know that also, working in a high performance way but without burnout is also something that's very important to you and I'd love to hear you speak about how you combine those two quite different things oh so many thoughts so the first thing I'd say really immediately and quickly is that I think having a level like having the uh, uh the level of self-compassion that we should all have I think it's a journey to get there um and it encompasses deep um, and very true in the deepest sense of the word um, sense of self-worth which I think culture and society really beats out of us especially as women 
you know like from i mean from the age that you can first remember things you have been exposed you've been exposed i've been exposed we've all been exposed to uh media which tells us we should look a certain way we should feel a certain way um you know this that whole thing about what good girls do and what good women do and those conditions that are put on us about what good girls do and what good women do those are conditions which as a speaking with my psychotherapist hat on we call those conditions of worth right and so i think there's a real process of actually starting to identify where have you um taken those conditions of worth and really internalized them and become really conscious of where those lie and then almost like a, a process of like mental surgery taking them out and that's something that i do with clients all the time once you start to remove those what you realize you're doing is you remove your conditioning and you start coming back to the truth of who you are. And when you start to return to the truth of who you are, you're in a position where um, it is far less natural for you to go with something because it's the thing that you think you're quote unquote supposed to do. Um, and I think for me, uh, I'm also very interested in things. I mean, and I'm interested from a theoretical perspective, but also in my own soul growth, you know, understanding where I come from. I. I wouldn't say that I've ever had to like think about integrating my culture with how I think. I just think it's one of those things that like for anybody who's great, you know, we all grow up in the cultures in which we grow up. Like it's just a part of you. But I think a lot about what we inherit generationally, what we've inherited from our parents, what we've inherited from our grandparents, both the traumas and the joys. And I think um, it's a, if I can be as bold as to use the word enlightened, I think when you come to this place where you're so deconditioned of, um, am I allowed to swear? If I, if, when you're so deconditioned of the bullshit that makes you feel bad about yourself, that makes you accept things that, you know, your, the, the version of yourself that really loves yourself wouldn't accept, it just becomes easier to say no to the things that don't align with the truth of who you are and what you want. And this is also how you come to me in a situation where you start to, like, I'm really obsessed with the idea of manifesting our reality. You get to be in a position where you manifest your reality. And it's, it's almost as if you're just, you're magnetic to what you want. And it's because you're so in line with what you were always supposed to be and have. Yeah, so it's, it's, less, uh, it's, it's less you becoming who you mm -hmm. are and assimilating and integrating all these different influences and more just kind of allowing yourself to come back to who you always kind of were underneath. Yes, this is, it's exactly that. It's about a deep remembering of who you really are. Yeah, I love that. That's one of the ways that I sometimes describe what I do to people because they're like, well, why do I need to meditate? I want to get stuff done. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. That's why you need to meditate because if you're chasing this ideal of what you should be or what you think you need to be, it's going to be so much harder than if you just take some time to like get to know yourself, who you really are underneath all of the crap and the noise and the distraction and whatever, and the shoulds and the coulds and all the rest of it. And like you say, the conditioning and who we're told to be, especially as women, especially as high achieving women. Yeah. And it's like, oh, actually I can, I don't ha I don't need all of that. I can just come back to who I am. There is a place where I think there's also something really powerful about the fact that you just said chasing. You know, when you say chasing, the image I have, and I've been in this place, I know what it is to feel like you're a hamster on a wheel that's going nowhere, but it's like you can't see that you're going nowhere because you're doing everything you're supposed to do. 
right? You're doing all the right things. You're doing everything, you know, quote unquote, they said you should be doing. And yet you're not feeling the feelings that you believe you should have been feeling for doing all the stuff that you were supposed to do. Um, and I think if you combine, yeah, this deep remembering about genuinely the gloriousness of who you really are, you combine it with a state where which like the thing that I say about meditation is that when you really get into it, it's like dancing between worlds. It's like the highest, trippiest experience that you can have. You combine those two things. What you really start doing is taking, I mean, really, you're bringing divinity in your life, right? You're honoring all about your human experience, but you're bringing magic into the fold too. And I mean, when I think about my, for example, like my executive coaching clients or my psychotherapy clients, like really at that point, that's when in all of them, I see this big turning point in the fact that everything about life just gets easier. And here's the thing, speaking also as someone who's like, I'm, I'm shamelessly ambitious. Speaking from that perspective, the irony is at that point when you've let go of the, like you said, the should do's and like they said I should do that and I ought to do this. At that point, you're in a state of flow. And what we know as psychologists is that flow is just an adult word for play. And when you're in a state of play, everything just comes easier. If you consider, you know, if, you're, if you are somebody who works in a demanding environment or you are somebody who um, has audacious goals, it all of a sudden gets easier to do hard things. It gets so much easier to make good decisions when you're not necessarily accessing all the data that you need to make those decisions. It gets easier to interact with people who perhaps push your buttons otherwise. It gets easier to feel like you can be sure that you're going to reach the goals that you want, that you're going to make the money that you want to make, that you're going to get the job you want, you're going to get the, the pay rise that you want. And I would say that extends to your personal life too. You get to a place where you can be sure that perhaps dynamics that trigger you with your family or with your loved ones or maybe even a partner, like these become easier to navigate also because you're not operating in a state of fight or flight. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. I love it. Like we could just end the podcast there. Like we're done. Like that sounds great. Like you've basically summarized everything that I tried to do. Um, yeah, I just love it. I mean, let's go back to this idea of, of feeling like you should do things. And also I know that, and I love that you said that you're shamelessly ambitious because, because that's how I describe a lot of my clients, you know, ambitious, but anxious. They are yeah. ambitious and they know that deep down they have this seed inside them that they want to grow into something amazing or they have a side hustle and they want to make it work or they, they're running their business or they want to quit their job because they're not happy, but they're like, oh, can I, should I? And it's kind of that, that tension. And, I, and so, yeah, I just described them as ambitious but anxious. And the anxiety is kind of the thing that you're describing, which is like this, this like voice in your head that's second guessing you all the time. And then what you're talking about is the ambition, but really like honoring that ambition and being like, this is me and this is what I want to do. Anxiety is this really interesting thing, right? Because I was at anything, <laughs> monster, depends on where you are with it. But there's wisdom in your anxiety. Like there's so much, I'll send you the link actually. I just got, um, wrote like a mini tiny piece for um, Glamour magazine about, you know, the fact that people are feeling anxious right now about lockdown easing. Um, it's that anxiety, your anxiety is often, yeah, really important intelligence 
that your emotions are trying to deliver to you, right? The problem is is more so in how you perceive your own anxiety. Like if your anxiety is causing you suffering, but you are feeling it as though it is like the drug that keeps you going, then you have a problem because at some point you'll you'll, you will reach a burnout point. Whereas if you can have a relationship with your anxiety, and of course it's easy said than done, that it, it requires work to get there. But if you have a relationship with your anxiety where you can say, okay, I feel a certain way. What triggered me to feel that way? How can I address that so I don't feel this in the future? Then you have something to work with. Because the truth is anxiety, whilst it's useful, useful intelligence that your body is delivering to your mind, it's also super toxic. Like if it adds up and it builds over time, um, from a neuro perspective, is basically pumping your brain and body with chemicals which then have an adverse effect on your immune system. This is the very beginning of developing autoimmune issues. And once you have autoimmune issues, then you've got a whole other like spectrum of challenge to deal with. And of course, all of this is just taking you away, taking you further and further away from the thing that you want. I just always have so many questions. I just, I could just talk to you about neuroscience and chemicals in the brain for days and I when I was younger I didn't even know that psychology or neuroscience or anything was something that I could study like I studied history at university because I was good at it at school I didn't know that I could have gone and studied all of these incredible things like if I could do my time again I would I would do a degree in psychology and maybe who knows I'll do it now as a mature student I don't know but I just think it's so fascinating to know that because it's so connected like how you think is so connected to your body and I feel like especially in the west we are so divorced from how our mind and body are connected yeah and that's kind of why I love like when you said yoga earlier I was really keen to make sure that I said it's not just about fancy stretching it's about yeah. everything that goes with it so this is why I mean or this I, I don't know about the why but this is certainly like how yoga um evolved right it was so we know now with all of the um super cool tech that we have that when people are positioned in certain asana um that it it creates uh, a change in our neurochemistry and then therefore our biochemistry because whatever's happening in our brain affects our body um but yeah i guess what ancient indians had already clocked onto was that that is true and then if we want to talk about meditation and mindfulness and the rest that we have when we go into shavasana at the at the end of a yoga practice um it is, it's based on the idea that the mind and body and soul, whatever you want to call your soul, like your soul or like your higher self or, you know, your most intuitive self, you know, people have different names for it. I think what is really, at the end of the day, a comparable, a comparable concept, but these things are all connected. And um, I was speaking to a coach a couple of years ago who had said, you know, a thought is just a thought. You can choose to change your mind. And I was horrified that, um, you know, that anyone would say this, let alone, like, tell other people this, because, or at least, like, tell people who are looking to develop this, because it's just not true. Like, you cannot just change your thought about something in the same way that you cannot just, let's say, for example, go on a diet and then all of a sudden love your body for it. Yeah, it's not, it's not such an automatic process. I think it's... Right it's so much more than that and that's something that I always say to people because there is that phrase you know your thoughts are just thoughts but that doesn't mean that it's 
easy for you to change them. It doesn't mean that there's not a reason that you're thinking that thought. It doesn't mean that you don't need to apply like a serious dose of self-compassion to yourself when you have a thought. And it doesn't mean that it's going to change overnight. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. people do that. They think they're going to sit down for like a 10 minute meditation session and they're going to be like cured or something. And it's like, nope. <laughs> but here's the other thing. And here's the rotten thing about that. It sets you up for failure. So when you go to something believing that it's going to be the medicine that you need and it fails you because it was a false medicine in the first place, people are quick to internalize the failure and experience it as shame. Shame is just toxic, right? I mean, like if we're going to go down the Brené route, but it's, that's the problem. And here's the other thing that I would add, and this is what I think, um, this is something that I'm super interested in. I do a lot of work in both in terms of sort of research and then also with my um, clients is unpacking um, what we've inherited. So I mentioned before about what we take from the generations before us, but what psychologists understand now is that it's not as simple as considering that we are a product of our nature and our nurture. What we now understand is, um, I guess once upon a time people said, is it nature or nurture? Then people said, well, no, it's both of them. Then people said, you know, one will affect the other, which is all true. And now what we know, um, and there's a little, I don't know, history of psychology background. And then, but now what we know is that our, our experiences change the way our DNA expresses itself, which makes sense, right? So, like, that's fairly, like, when I say it, I think for most people, they go, okay, that, that makes sense. You know, if I spend my whole, whole life eating foods, my DNA is more likely to behave in a way that leads me to a place where I experience things like chronic diseases, cancers, etc. Makes perfect sense. Here's the really scary bit, though. If your DNA changes on the basis of your experience and then you have children, what they inherit is not the initial version of your DNA. They inherit the DNA, which is expressing itself on the basis of your experience. It's, just to be clear, is that what is known as generational trauma? So that would speak to it. What I just um, described is it's a field of study called epigenetics. When we talk about generational trauma, um, we're talking about traumas that are inherited, and those those can be twofold. It can be what I'm explaining around epigenetics, in that it's literally in your body. I'm I'm not sure if um, listeners will know, but there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score, and it's a great book. Um, but if you don't want to read it, or if you're like me and you've got like a thousand books that you've already bought and not got around to reading, the idea is just that our bodies store trauma. Um, but yeah, so there's very much of that, and then of course there's the fact that. Um, as human beings, what we do is, from a young age, we have things that we experience that are overwhelming to us. So, and those don't have to be big things. They can be, you know, if you're talking about a sensitive person or a sensitive child, it could just be being in a very noisy classroom day in, day out, and that's just overwhelming. And so what you do as a little human is that you find ways to cope with that overwhelm, and then you become a bigger human, and you retain those ways to cope. Like, those become your coping mechanisms, but those coping mechanisms have really now become the way you move in the world. Not only you have done that, your parents have done that, and your grandparents have done that. So some of what you have there are yours, and some of them are, like you said, they are impacted by things like generational trauma. Like, and for lots of us, our parents, and our, especially our grandparents, have experienced real traumas that we could not ever imagine. Like, my grandparents... I mean, you know, they have fully dictators. They saw, like, they were children when India and Pakistan, like, went through partition. You know, this was real war-like scenario. So, so these things change the way in which that you behave. And so, yeah, your children inherit from both perspectives 
Um, and what's really, uh, again, interesting but also frightening is that we see in the, in the research that, for example, if you take the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors and you study their DNA under, under you know, super powerful microscopes, it would appear as if they had experienced the Holocaust firsthand. But they didn't, right? That was their grandparents' experience. So this is the power of inherited experience. I take a really optimistic view that if we can inherit trauma, we can also inherit joy and love, you know? And I love that whole idea of, you know, I think there's a meme somewhere that like, you know, when you're struggling, walk like you've got 10,000 ancestors behind you. Um, you know, you said to me before, like, how do you find the courage for these things? And I, I, I think that it's important for all of us to draw upon the power that comes in our lineage. The people who love you, only ever want for you to shine the brightest you can shine right and if you remember that that can be a real source of strength and power when you feel anxious weak lost you know like you're trying to find your way in the wilderness that's amazing I kind of love that I think that thinking like that sort of applies to everything you know giving yourself a break I mean before we started recording I said that this week I've actually been feeling really tired and kind of feel like I'm going towards burnout and previously, I think, and I still struggle with it, like, not going to lie, I'm always really honest about the fact that I'm still walking in the shoes of the people that I help, you know, we're all doing the same thing, basically. But I feel like I'm able to be more compassionate to myself now and kind of recognize that not only is it unhelpful for me to be burnt out because I can't do good work, but it's also just about seeing yourself as like a person, a human doing their best. And if I was to imagine what you just said, everyone that loves you and everyone that's gone before you is basically cheering you on and basically wants <laughs> you to shine. I mean, what an amazing, beautiful thought. Like, how reassuring. I love it. Yeah, and I truly believe it. I love that. That's <laughs> fantastic. Okay, so I'm just looking through my questions because I've got so many things that I'd love to ask you. You know, we could talk about that more. We could talk about your yoga practice I mean okay let's let's talk about your meditation and yoga practice because I know that previously you've said that when you first started doing it and you can correct me if I'm wrong on these details but when you first started doing it you felt a competitiveness there and feeling like you had to be like the best yogi in the room and that that really speaks to me because I feel like so many people do that even with meditation they're like okay I need to sit down I need to do the best <laughs> meditation I need to do it every single day if I fail I suck it's never gonna work like we approach these things with that attitude and I'm guessing that you're gonna tell me that that's not a good idea how did you push through that so here's the thing <laughs> it's like I, I was like quietly like laughing when you were saying the question it's like it's funny, right? So somebody who I spoke to uh, like a little while ago, so we were on a phone call and, and then they, uh, it was a work call and he's like, okay, I've got to run. We're coming to six o'clock and I've got to meditate. And I was like, what, do you always meditate at six o'clock? And, like, and I said it as a joke. And he was like, yes. <laughs> so I was like, okay, like that's the kind of rigidity, which is, it's just so, it was so ironic and he didn't see it. And it's all, it was funny to me when you were saying about the yoga thing, because, yeah, I guess we've, we've spoken about this before. Um, so I'm, I was not just, I'm saying was, I think am would be fairer and truer and more honest. <laughs> I'm not just competitive in a yoga class. I'm competitive everywhere. 
I think that if you're somebody who is, you know, living a big life and you have a big career and you have big ambitions, you have big goals, I'm hoping that you'll resonate and it's not just me. It is um, definitely. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, you've, you've started three companies. Uh, I feel like that that's maybe you're more even competitive and ambitious than I am. But I mean, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I completely 100% resonate with everything you're saying. Yeah, totally. It comes twofold, right? On one level, some of us just are that way. We're built that way. This is also what, you know, what we inherit, right? Like there's so many of us, we can look at our parents and it's so obvious, like that one of them is our, like that we're just the mini me of that one, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so with yoga, I guess I started going to uh, classes when I was at university. I was super stressed. I was in my third year. I'd spent a lot of my second year doing like very big um, extracurricular activities, like around societies. Um, so I guess if, if listeners are international, societies are like our version of like, I guess, sororities and fraternities, right? Um, and then also, you know, we throwing myself into the internship scheme because I was like, yeah, I was interviewing and applying with, you know, the big investment banks, you know, classic type A story. And then I got to my third year and I thought, God, I've really got to get my grades up um, because I spent my, like, my second year doing other, other stuff, which was yeah, really not particularly academic. And also for me, which was interesting, was um, university was the first time that I, actually not even university, my second year of university was the first time I ever felt academically challenged. Like I'm naturally really nerdy. So I like, I kind of just, I'm that person that's annoying in that like I floated through school and I really floated through my first year. And so second year came round and I was like, all right, I'll, I, this is actually quite hard and I actually need to do some work. And yeah, so by the time my third year came around, I felt like beyond challenged. I had this horrible feeling like if I don't get a 2-1, the world will end and I will be like a loser and I'll probably have to work at McDonald's. And like, <laughs> so I had this stress on me. Um, and, you know, of course, it was also, uh, that was 2008, 2009, the stress of like knowing that the job market had just entirely changed seeing my friends in the year above me have you know their job offers all rescinded over summer um but I, I think all of these things were layering um and I thought you know I'll just try a yoga class I went I had no idea what I was doing looking back it was a vinyasa class all of the other girls knew what they were doing and I didn't know what I was doing but I was okay with it because I was like I don't know what I'm doing but it just feels right like it feels so right and it feels more right than anything else that I felt this week um, and when I left, I remember coming out of the student union gym, like out into the street and just being like, I don't know what's happened, but the world looks different. And I was buzzing. And like, I'd say I'm generally kind of a, like you can see, I speak fast and like, I'm generally quite upbeat, but um, yeah, the world felt like someone had put a filter on it. And so I just kept doing it and in that way that when you find something you love, you just do it and do it and do it. And I got to a place where I was really deep in my physical practice, but I recognized that when I was in class, like I would be at the front. I would resent it if I got there and like there were no places at the front. I would especially resent it if somebody was in front of me at the front and they weren't quote unquote as good as me. Um, I, I was just so, <laughs> I'm, I'm showing the true like awfulness of myself in a yoga class. No, but I'm <laughs> laughing. I'm, I'm laughing in recognition because it's it just speaks so much to me because I, I mean I <laughs> I can't say that I've ever wanted to be at the front of a yoga class 
just because I am probably more insecure about my body than I should be because no one is looking at me everyone's looking at themselves compared to how they're doing so it's yeah that's a whole different conversation but I read I I completely relate to wanting to to do a class and like be good at it and like making yourself like do the hard option like today I was doing a workout and I, I do regular home workouts especially since quarantine hit yeah. I, I was I was already well into them before lockdown and um they always give you options they always say okay well this is the hard option yeah and, yeah, yeah. And this is the modified option and I'm always like oh my god I've got to do the hard option like why <laughs> Hannah, but, but this is like if you think about it and we go back to you know what I said about the behaviors that we developed as kids right like this is who I was as a teenager I liked sitting at the front. I liked that my hand up when I knew the answer. Like I liked feeling seen by my teacher. You know, it's it's all of those things. And actually, I think um, the the turning point for me around it was I um, I experienced a burnout. Um, I was just pushing myself too hard. Uh, when when was this? What what age was this? This would have been twenty sixteen. I'm thirty one now. So about four years ago why am I finding it so hard to do the math 27 circa 27 um anyway and I had this kind of itch to go to Bali for a really long time it might have been symptomatic of like eat pray love and the fact that we all want to be Julia Roberts and eat pray love um, absolutely I, I went to Bali in November 2018 and I remember telling myself on the plane Hannah it's a real country it's not just a series of Instagram <laughs> photos you need to realize that it's a real country when you get there and I was like I literally went there because well okay so it's not about me but long story short I went there because yeah. I wanted to do loads of amazing yoga and also I just thought it would be beautiful but also because the whole eat pray love thing and, be, and like, <laughs> like Instagram and people saying that you know Bali is kind of like where you will find salvation and so I was like okay cool I'm gonna go so anyway I completely understand carry on <laughs> I think there's become a trend around that then maybe my timing was a little bit different um I think Instagram was definitely a big thing in 2016 I just don't know if it was a big thing for me because in social media world by the time you're 27 you're kind of I don't know I think you're behind the curve of like what's cool I was gonna say old but then I was like that's not even like that's just such a false thing to say but you know what I mean um, I, do. So I, I, know I, I kind mean. of didn't have that but it did feel like an like a, a very strong nudge which I would now say was my intuition um, and actually I'll say something about intuition afterwards um, but yeah I went I was totally burnt out like I said I went with thinking I haven't had like you know a proper summer holiday since I was a kid because at university I interned every summer you know and then I had a job and then like I was building a company and then I was building my second company and you know you just you're in your flow and my intention was to go into six weeks probably traveling around Bali probably like I made no fixed plans I got there my first day I slept through the second day I spoke to someone and they were like oh you're into yoga you should go to this place called the yoga barn which yeah <laughs> had I, it touching her heart if you I, don't know <laughs> the, yo the yoga uh, the yoga barn has a special place in my soul yeah. I, Me too. I basically lived there when I was in when I was in Bali. I, right. I stayed at a guest house that was basically next door to it. And I went there every single day. And I just I kind of knew that I was like this this massive white girl cliche. And I didn't care because I was so <laughs> I was so happy that I didn't care. I was like, cool. If I'm a cliche, then then cool. <laughs> it's incredible though that you say that to me because like in a similar way, I went to one class there and something shifted in me and I was like, I'm just meant to be here. So I went to that one class, I paid for, I think I paid for that one class, 
the same teacher said, I'm doing another class in like 20 minutes in here. It's a restorative yoga class. I'd never heard of restorative yoga, but I was like, this feels good. And I just, I just need to be here. And I ran downstairs to the reception. You remember how the structure is. Like you're in a giant, like two story hut, but like hut is really not a fair word to use. Um, all the so different, ran- all the different levels. Like if you want to go up to the reception, you've got to like go down some stairs and then up some stairs and like. Right. So like, I mean, if you can imagine me, I'm like, I'm just shy of five foot. So I'm like, Little me is like running down the stairs. I got to reception. I don't want to lose my spot where I've left my, my stuff upstairs. And I'm like, can I go into the next class? And then when I get out and I'll have my handbag and I'll just buy an unlimited pass. And they're like, yeah, totally. <laughs> so that was how that six went, like six weeks went. I basically, I, and the irony is after a few weeks, most of the classes that I was doing were like yin yoga, restorative yoga, and very intensive meditation sessions. Like I really found my calm. I found my way of slowing down um, and then interestingly like also that you said about being like you know cliche and like not caring there are lots of people in Bali I guess who are who are you know doing the backpacking thing and I out of kind of like a probably out of like a nervousness it was the first time I was traveling alone let alone going so far actually I traveled alone before for work so that's different you know somebody meets you at a, an airport and you're never alone this was like truly alone I booked this super cute boutique hotel that um kind of had a co-living vibe and like Vogue had said it was incredible so I was like well if Vogue says so um, <laughs> and it was totally incredible it was beautiful like yeah it was like basically living in a boutique hotel for a, a month and a half and so many people have said to me you know you're getting totally ripped off there and I had this total sense of you know unapologeticness over being like if I like nice things what's it to you I didn't try to explain myself and I think that's another thing that women do, especially when we feel like we're being judged, right? Like, but yeah, I mean, in hindsight, that was how the decision was made. Do I regret it? Not at all. Like, it was, and it was such a big piece in me, like finding my voice over small things. And I think finding my flow with a slower practice was powerful because it, it took me to a place where um, I got very clear in my sense that I have a real belief that sometimes we have to slow down to speed up. Um. And it's interesting that by the time I came back to the UK, I was truly refreshed. My business, uh, the education one particularly, we like, really pivoted the direction that that was going in. And that was when it really started to evolve to being a full services firm. It blew up. We won some incredible clients. I mean, these are things that happened though almost serendipitously. I couldn't have planned for it. And then also what I would find is when I would be in yoga classes, like you said, the teacher would offer like, do you want to do a modification? Or like, yeah, this is the advanced version. I'd be like, well, I don't know if I feel like it, so I just won't do it. Or if I wanted to rest, if I wanted to take a really long rest, I just would. And I would with the knowledge that when I come back, I'll be strong. And that's okay. I can I can know that I'm going to come back strong and will probably, again, that thing be like physically one of the best in the class. And I'm forgiving myself for feeling that way because I'm a human being experiencing human emotions. And ambition is one of those. Totally. Right? Like, there's totally. no point in trying to pretend to be someone you're not. The pointless thing is, though, making yourself suffer for it. 100%. I love how you're talking about the intersection of things that are often seen as kind of at odds with each other, but they're so not. Like, when you really start to embody, literally embody, in the case of yoga, like, what feels good to you and who you really are, I think it is that word that you used. It is unapologetic. It's like, but it's unapologetic about everything. It's unapologetic about 
okay, I'm, today I'm going to do the slower yoga class. I'm not going to take myself to like the Ashtanga flow level five. I'm going to take myself to like the yin class. And that's going to be just as good for my soul. And, ju- and, and I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm not going to say, oh, well, you know, because I didn't do the difficult yoga class today, I really had better go tomorrow or, you know, or, and also at the same time, you're being unapologetic about the fact that you like nice things and if you're going to be in Bali you don't want to stay in some like hut somewhere with like you know no running water (laughs) yeah you know and it's it's like I think sometimes people would think that those things are at odds with each other because it's like oh you can't really be a spiritual person you can't really be in touch with who you are and also want to stay in a nice hotel and it's like actually when you discover who you are you can kind of realize that you can make your own rules yeah and being someone that stays in a nice hotel doesn't mean that you are also like this totally non-spiritual, materialistic, terrible person. It's like, how can I combine these things so that they feel authentic to me and, and showing up for yourself in a way that feels good? And I think that is, that. I mean, the reason why I'm like so obsessed with this and I'm getting so worked up is just because that to me is like so revolutionary, especially for the women that I speak to and that I, I work with, because it's like, you're allowed to to take things slow like you said slow down to speed up you're allowed to want to speed up at some point you're allowed to want to be ambitious but it doesn't mean that it has to come at the expense of your peace it doesn't have to come at the expense of being who you are and you know it's like all the good stuff so it's i think this is the thing right this is what it comes down to when you boil down why does anybody bother doing anything right whether that's working really hard to get to where they want to get to or if it's like you know going deeper into your yoga practice thinking it's going to have some kind of external impact on your life or you know a meditation practice I know so many people who meditate thinking you know I will do this so that right and I'll do this so that you get yourself into a place where you're constantly like we said before chasing something and yeah if I think about also from this side like if I think about psychotherapy clients and peak performance clients they often Peak performance is often kind of more associated with, I would say, executive coaching. And then the psychotherapy tends to be more associated with healing. And yet the irony is, like you said, they sit at the same intersection. But what it comes down to knowing is that life is just too short to be making yourself believe that you always have to do something to deserve something else, right? And at the point at which that you truly understand that, you will embody it. And at the point at which you embody it, that is when you have truly realized the magnificence of who you are. And that is when you can feel completely comfortable just doing what you want because you want. Like someone said to me earlier, like, you know, I really should be doing this. I should like, actually, and I should have done that earlier. And I was like, stop saying should. Like should is like a word from, I don't know. It's a word from hell, right? Like do what you want. And it was so funny because he said to me, did you get that from a t-shirt? And I was like, (laughs) No, it's an Natashaism. Like, <laughs> like when you do what you want and you nurture yourself and you are able to recognize that you are the only person who can, who can give you what you need, the incredible thing is that all of those people who you martyr yourselves for, all of the projects that you martyr yourself for, all of the roles in which that you hold that you're, you're martyring yourself for, ironically, they all fall into place and they all benefit for it too. I was literally about to say that because I know that one of the biggest criticisms of this kind of thing is like, oh, well, it sounds very self-centered or it sounds very like you're just going to go and do what you want and like fuck everyone else. And it's like, no, the thing is when you really start to be in touch with who you are and you live in a way 
that makes you feel good spiritually and emotionally, but also fulfilling parts of yourself that are important to you, like your ambition, mm-hmm. like your success, like your work, you actually become unbelievably less selfish <laughs> because yeah. because you're nourishing your own whatever you want to call it, like you're nourishing your own soul, you have so much more space somehow for everyone else. It's a cliche, but you cannot pour from an empty cup. Totally. So, and actually more than, you know, you, the, the magic that I find is, is that if, if I think about my own journey around this work and for what's been true for me, as well as what's been true for like the others who I've guided, it's, you don't want to be pouring from a full cup either. What you want is a cup that is so incredibly overspilling that you're just saying to everyone, like, have some, have some, have some. And the whole time you're still glowing. Yeah. And you're sharing it. Totally. I mean, I could talk about that, like how becoming, <laughs> how becoming more self-compassionate actually makes you more compassionate to others. Yeah. I mean, I have a whole thing to say about this whole mindfulness thing that has the backlash towards mindfulness that has happened in the past few years about how oh it just makes you more self-centered it's just using mindfulness as a productivity hack and all this bollocks I mean I'm gonna go out there and say it's bollocks like I think if you you think of mindfulness as a productivity hack then you're doing it wrong um (laughs) but that's just a whole nother (laughs) conversation again it comes from a place I think also your vantage point right like it will make you more productive like when you were uh, when we were speaking earlier, you said to me like, "How do you do it all?" Like between so, I guess for me, work wise, I I have a private practice where I see psychotherapy clients and executive coaching clients. I also do my own research. I um, own an education company, so that's Veda. I own a startup called Fastlane, um, and I do work around mentoring new businesses and founders. And have started angel investing. And you said to me, like, how do you do it all? And I was like, ironically, this is the least busy I've ever been in my life. And I don't think it comes down to the thing about, you know, well, you get to a stage where you start to hire other people to help you and, and you know, these kinds of things. I don't actually, whilst that is true, I don't think that's the thing that makes the difference. It's the fact that I understand how I treat myself. And so I have very real, and by real, I mean not superficial and not things that I feel guilty about, boundaries over how I spend my time, how I treat my time, um, and like only doing things that light me up, right? And so this is why when people say to me, like the same thing that you've just said, oh, it's just, you know, having a meditation practice or you know, taking your own spiritual development seriously is going to make you selfish. It's like, you know what, why are you saying that? Is there a possibility it's because you benefit out of people, especially women, being selfless? Is that a possibility? Because I hear that a lot, right? And now when you think about it, like imagine the people who might say that to you. It's often women who hear it. And it's often women who hear it from people who are taking advantage of them. Totally. I think it's also, (laughs) I I get it. I hear it from a lot of women as well who who say, who actually, well, it depends who it is, but I mean, two things firstly they're afraid of what will happen if they start putting themselves first because they've been indoctrinated into believing that the best expression of their womanhood is to be completely selfless and secondly they are maybe women who are like slightly older who think well how dare you how dare you Mm -hmm. spend so much time thinking about yourself I mean that's how they would say it because I wasn't allowed to I didn't have the luxury of this so how come you can 
for those women though also like it's I think it comes back to that compassion thing and again the compassion thing is interesting because it's almost like I think any time that we're judging other people often we're judging something that sits deeply really deeply in our unconscious and you know Jungians would say it's sitting in our shadow but 100 percent. I, I always think that like uh, the comparison thing it's like if you're jealous of someone if you're if you're comparing yourself to someone nine times out of ten it's because it's actually giving you an insight in what into what you need to do or what you wish that you had done right so this is it's that thing about when you said uh about the judgment thing I think yeah when you do the work on yourself like you said about you become more compassionate I think it's because you start to resolve some of the judgment that you didn't know was sitting there internally if I'm thinking from a compassionate perspective I think about women of like generations above us I mean we only know what we know right we're also like in this generation you know for even women who are not of color but benefit of like are able to enjoy like all of the wisdom that comes from um heritages that like are are do come from people of color like these are not things that let's say women much older than us ever had access to and so it's also just so foreign um but maybe that i am also kind of a real believer in things like uh no coincidences like it's come to be at this generation because i think this is i mean saying a very obvious thing right now but clearly as a collective societies are suffering there has to be a way in which the people heal to move forward and i think what we're seeing is that there is a rising around women having more influence there is a rising around people of color claiming claiming their place in powerful powerful structures um removing toxicity from conditioning which has you know really affected everybody who isn't who doesn't you know who isn't a wealthy white man um and this is where that starts right but we're also really fortunate to be able to see it from that perspective yeah like you said you've lived through two world wars (laughs) it the trauma of your own experiences clouds the way that you see what might to you just look like a fad or a trend 100 percent, yeah so it's not often that I get to have a real life psychologist on my podcast and (laughs) (laughs) and so I I wondered if you I know that you've written about this um so I thought that you might be perhaps comfortable in talking about some of the issues that we're dealing with as a society right now from your psychologist perspective and you have mentioned the experiences of people of color especially women of color at the moment and I know that you 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 yourself have been an outspoken voice about the racism and the recent protests that have happened in the United States but also all over the world like after the murder of George Floyd and I would love to know your thoughts about how we as women and I'm saying this as myself like as a white woman and I'm speaking to you as a woman of color how can we begin to like navigate this new kind of era for for positive change what can we do so it's it's interesting because i i also feel like the first thing that i should say is i'm whilst i'm outspoken and i have lots of opinions (laughs) um i'm also really cognizant of the fact that yes i'm a woman of color but i'm of indian descent and yes indian people and british indian people are feeling something now but it's nothing like that which we can imagine which is the grief that the black community is feeling um 
absolutely i didn't want to i don't want to imply that you can speak for anyone other than yourself really but i just i i saw that you have written about these things previously and i just wanted to give you a chance to speak on it if you wanted to yeah so i just i guess i just said that because i think there's an automatic reaction that happens because it's just such a sensitive topic i mean even when we use words like black or people of color like there is like i do have a very um potent sense that to lots of people these words are also hurtful and so what active allyship I think looks like for everyone moving forward is being conscious of the power of our words totally allyship looks like it's not enough to say or be not racist active allyship looks like doing your piece whether that means um signing petitions or joining uprisings or um deciding that you know what actually when I spend money when I shop I'm gonna vote with my dollars and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pay companies who have a history of racism or have a history of um you know benefiting off of slavery and then not doing things to make it right you know like we I think it's so easy for us to think well I'm just one person and so what can I do in this like big you know this big attempt at systemic change and you know uh, you know the the idea of uh, reforming institutions is huge and yes yeah, so people do fall into a thinking of like i'm not an expert I, i'm just me i'm not powerful what can i do there's just so much that you can do and again i think it's empowering like if you believe that you are someone who believes that we are all equal and we all deserve equal rights become cognizant of the things that you say um, if you have thoughts that like you feel like you've inherited or you picked up just because it was the you know it was the the belief of the people around you then question it when other people say things that are don't sit right with you call them out on it um and that can be as simple as saying to people you know i can't believe you just said that i don't find it funny and these small things, they might require courage, but you know, on the flip side of doing a frightening thing is realizing also the truth of who you are is actually somebody who has the power to make change, even if you thought before you can't. So this is, I think it's truly everybody's work. Like it is truly everyone's work to do their piece where they can. I mean, and I would say right down to even if it's the case that you're in your own four walls and you don't see anyone because you're in lockdown, just sharing information on social media um, makes you a part of a movement which is going to change the world. I think we will look back on this in 10 years' time and it will be something that was momentous. Totally. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's some seriously useful points there. I think it's something that you said really brings me back to, it was a, I think it was an, an IGTV video that I saw by a woman of color and she said you know the thing is that when you know that you're really speaking up and you know that you're really making a difference when you saying something carries a certain element of risk oh amazing isn't yeah. that so great and and i think she mean, she doesn't just mean risk as in like financial risk i mean she does she does mean it. that as well she does mean that like if you speak up to your boss you risk I guess losing your job in the worst case scenario. If you speak up to a family member, you risk causing no longer belonging. Yeah, you, you risk 
I don't know, family discord or whatever, like you risk os- ostracization or whatever, like, From you know. From a primal perspective, like, yeah. And our most, our most primal need is to feel like we belong. So when you say something that goes against the grain, that's what the risk is, right? It's not even your mind anymore. It's like somewhere in your body, the adrenaline is like fueling because your body is like, what are we doing right now? What are you about to say? Yeah, and I, I just think those words are so profound. It's totally true. I had an experience a few months back where um, a wellness-based community that I'm in, someone had posted something about, it was something, I can't even remember the details of what they had posted, but it was something about a coach's program. Um, and it was, it was a white coach who had changed her name to something Indian, which you know, always makes me roll my eyes a little. Um, Pro- problematic at, at best yeah problematic at best yeah but she had a program and there was there was a lot of appropriation going on right and I could I reacted really quickly and this is a community in which that I've made like lots of friends and actually really interesting um connections around work and business but I said it like I said what I thought and I had that feeling I had that feeling inside that little like you know drumming up of adrenaline and I talked about the fact that this is inappropriate, that this is the whitewashing of wellness, um, that this is potentially harmful and this is hurtful. This is February. Um, and then I was like, I would be interested to know if you know any portion of profits are going back to the communities where you know where there's poverty and suffering. You know, if I if I think about things like yoga, for example, there's so much money being made out of yoga by big luxury yoga brands. And I'm wondering how much of that money goes back to let's say supporting women who are living in villages in India and are victims of domestic violence. I wonder, right? Like hundred percent, hundred percent. But, uh, and nobody said anything. And there was a moment where I was like, Oh God, no one said anything. And then I was like, you know what? It needed to be said. It needed to be said. And then actually another woman said something. It was a woman of color. And then another woman of color said something. And then, you know, and then there was a long silence afterwards. And again, I had this kind of thought that, you know what? Like it may have landed on deaf ears, but did I say the thing that needed to be said? Yes. In that case, I did the right thing. And I think mm-hmm. that's the opportunity that everyone has now. Like, yeah, it might be scary. It might feel frightening to say to your mother or your uncle, you know, people who are super close to you, actually what you've said is really inappropriate and like it's hurtful. And I, I don't think that that's something that you should be saying again. But in it, you'll find, yeah, not only the... Not only will you realize actually the truth of your own courage, but also you'll break a cycle. Like we talked about intergenerational traumas, like this is how you change a cycle for your children who come next. Totally, 100%. And I really love how you explained that, like the truth of your own courage. Because for me, I kind of realized when all of this was going on that a lot of the skills that I've learned in meditation actually can be helpful at this juncture because it is like we were saying before about really getting in touch with who you are and what's really right for you and if you have done the work as as I am trying to I still have so much more to do but if I am trying to understand the situation and my responsibility as a white person to speak up to other white people it's about like you say basically the courage of your convictions to be able to say like no I have read a lot about this from people of color who have this experience and I can tell you that what you've just said right there actually 
is offensive or actually is tone deaf or actually let's have a conversation about it. And as well, it's about listening. And that's kind of what I was saying before. It's like when you start to be compassionate to yourself and you start to cultivate a practice of listening to yourself, you're then able to listen to other people. Now, whether that's listening to people of color or people who have a different lived experience to you, whatever they're talking about, but then also being able to listen to other people and sort of saying, okay, well, what you've said just there, I'm not very happy about it, but can you tell me why you think that? Let's have a conversation about it. And it's kind of, I mean, that's happened to me in the past few weeks with people who've said things. And I'm like, oh, I don't think that you should say that, but I'm not just going to shout at your face and say, oi, don't say that, it's offensive, because that's not going to get anywhere. But let's talk about it. Why do you think that? What is your lived experience that makes you think that? And how can I now explain to you that actually that's probably the wrong thing to say? And it's kind of that 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 I'm trying to build. Yeah, I'm really impressed by that because I think it comes with a real level of maturity. There's, but there's a thought that I have. It's This is not just, I think, because it's easy to like slide into a place of feeling like there's also like a guilt that needs to be carried by like all white people. And this is, and that's just not true. I think that people of every ethnicity like have racism within their communities, right? So definitely it's, I know I keep saying it, but it's the work for everyone. Um, but I would actually go as far as to say that actually at this point in time, I think people know when they're saying things that are racist and hurtful. And in the same way that we don't say, you know, when someone murders someone, well, what was going through your mind? And when, where did you get that idea from? I think we've got to a place where people are just so angry. Enough is enough. That it's almost like it's gone beyond that point of inviting people to experience some kind of re-education. Mm. Um, and what I've seen a lot actually is um, on, on a flip side um, is perhaps people saying to black people and I feel a lot around women asking black women to explain their experience explain their traumas explain why something's hurtful to them totally and it's so inappropriate because like the irony is is that what that what one is asking when they do that is that they're asking somebody to emotionally labor for free 100 percent. um and so that adds this other layer where the invitation really for everyone is to choose to self-educate and if you don't want to self-educate understand that you will end up on the wrong side of this when it becomes history Totally, yeah. And I should point out that when I was talking previously about educating people and asking them about their experience, that's me as a white person talking to other white people. I completely agree with you that it's not up to me to ask a black woman, well, why? Why is it offensive? It's like, no. do, like you have Google, you have the internet, go find yeah. out. Like, but I also mean know. that it's, it's, it's also emotional labour for you, though if you, like you said, you go to another white person and you're like, tell me why you feel this way. Tell me why you think it's okay to say that. Because need, like, without doubt, whatever they say will make your blood boil, right? Like, you'll be furious. Yeah. This is, and we do this as a culture across scenarios to women all the time. Like, if you think about just any time you've been in an office environment and you think about, you know, someone's having a bit of a moment and they, like, you know, who they'll go and rant to, it's rarely a man. 100%. You know, we've just got into this, like, into this pattern, like I said before, about how, like, people get into patterns of how they behave. Entire groups of people are in patterns where there is an expectation. We see it in the home, and we see it also, like, outside of the home, 
that it is women who are expected to emotionally labor for free. And that is also where there's a place where when you start finding the truth of who you are, that deep remembering of the truly, I know I keep saying this word magnificence, but that is what it is, the magnificence of who you are, you will stand for it less. I love that. I think I'm going to make that the title of the podcast. <laughs> Discover or remembering the magnificence of who you are. I love it. It's a bloody good phrase. I need to get that on a t-shirt. Talking of phrases on t-shirts. <laughs> it's amazing. I love it. Um, wow, I could just talk to you about this all day. But I did also want to ask you about another topic, um, which is on a lot of people's minds at the moment. And I think you mentioned it earlier. How can we navigate our collective anxiety as generally anxious women anyway, of coming out of COVID-19 lockdown? Oh gosh. Give me, give me the one psychologist answer, please, Natasha. (laughs) Yeah. So it's interesting. So the advice that I have given and I, yeah, like I said, I'll give you the link. So um, advice that I've given before was (laughs) broadly along the lines of understand that your anxiety is telling you something. If you feel nervous about coming out of lockdown, it's for a reason. The UK is one of the most affected countries in the world. Just because we're just because economically speaking, we're coming out of a lockdown. If you don't feel comfortable being out and about, don't feel like you have to be. Mm. It is that simple. Like you need to honor what your body and mind is telling you that you need for your own wellness. You know, lots of us, lots of I say lots of us, but lots of us, lots of people also have underlying conditions that they don't know about that make them more vulnerable right um and like i mean i should caveat that i'm not a doctor so you know like don't take this as medical advice but um don't put yourself in harm's way i mean if you feel like you're anxious it's it's because what you're really perceiving is that there is harm there don't feel like you have to go out that you have to be in spaces where there's lots of people Again, I think it's what you're saying before about connecting with what's really true for you. And if what's yeah. true for you right now is actually, I feel like I need to do this a bit more slowly. I'm not just going to suddenly become a party animal overnight after three months inside. Like, that's okay. I also think that lots of people might have realized something about the people they spend time with. And so the anxiety, I think for some people, the anxiety is around like, yeah, the obviousness of a killer virus, which is just frighteningly dangerous you know even if you survive it um but yeah starting to wonder well what is it that i do usually and who do i spend time with usually and how do i feel in those circumstances lots of people have come to a place where they're like actually i don't know if this is that bad and so then you have an opportunity to really rethink rethink what your life looks like yeah i think that that is actually so so true like that's that's really hit me because because that does speak to something that I that I think about a lot like designing the life that I want and I have the privilege to be in a position where I can think about that but I think that that's so so true it's like actually maybe the lockdown life where I have to take things more slowly and I'm not rushing around all the time and I'm not back and forwards on trains and doing this and that and being at this social event and that social event and getting up at 6am to do my commute and all of the things it's like oh actually maybe I don't want things to go back to the way they were before and what does that mean for my life (laughs) you know it's a big big question and ironically asking ourselves these big questions is also it can also be uncomfortable 
So it's about being able to discern, is this anxiety because I am genuinely anxious? Or is it possible that this anxiety might be planting the seeds for excitement? Well, like you said, maybe it's telling me something. Yeah, it's always telling you something, right? It's all, it's, it's, and if you trust that there's always a message there for you, um, that will set you on the right path. Absolutely. And I would also say, as I will, shamelessly, that meditation is a fantastic technique to help you sit <laughs> with discomfort and anxiety and figure out what it is, in fact, trying to tell you. Um, <laughs> she adds quickly at the end of that. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, it totally is. I mean, part of one, I mean, one of the reasons why people resist coming to these things and why they resist doing these, doing these exercises and going to yoga in the first place or doing meditation in the first place is because they they are afraid of what they're going to find when they give themselves that space which is which is totally normal and I'm not judging anyone that thinks that way but I think that's where the magic happens like when you are brave enough to sit with the discomfort and actually ask yourself what is it trying to tell me yeah I agree okay totally so We've covered so much amazing ground. I'm so excited. I, I was going to ask you what being a badass means to you, because obviously my brand name is all about being a badass and I know what it means to me, but I kind of feel, I mean, feel free to answer that question, but I feel like you've already spoken to it. It's like, like you said, having the, the, the courage to be who you are and speak to your own truth, I guess. Yeah, it's that. But if I was going to like make it just more concrete, because I think that there are people who would hear that and think it sounds like it's verging on a spiritual, cloudy, yep. vagueness vibe. Love um, it. It's just doing what you want when you want. It's that simple. Living a life where you get to do what you want. Love it. Love it. Absolutely. And here's the thing. It's accessible to everyone. Like that is our, that is your birthright to live like that. What do you mean by everyone? I think that it's accessible to everybody. I think we can all create lives where this is where we get to live. And yes, of course, we all have like obligations and commitments and responsibilities. But whether or not it feels like obligation is a different thing. It's always like I would say, it's like there's two. Like there's two trains, like there's one train where you're having like distress and anxiety and constant, a constant sense of like what you need to do and what you have to do and what is necessary and going through the motions. And then there's another one where it's like, we're just having a party. Like it just gets better and better. Life gets better and better. And we're just like, why don't you come hang out on ours? Because where we're going, like it's better than you can even imagine. Oh my God, I love it. I love it. And I think it goes back to what you said before about setting boundaries in your life and being really clear about kind of what you will and will not do. And totally, we all have obligations and we all have responsibilities and things that we would rather not do. But I think we can still, even around those things, we can really set boundaries in place and say, okay, well, this is not okay. Or actually, I'm going to choose to do this or stop work at this time or make this a priority in my life where it wasn't before. And even if we have a lot of responsibilities, I think there are definitely ways that we can speak up for what is important to us in our life. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think that's, that's so key. I would love to ask you and I'm conscious of time but I would love to ask you a bit more about what you mean when you say 
you've put in boundaries in place in your life and how you are able to manage such an incredible amount of different businesses and different I don't know what you would call them pursuits different varying varying activities in your day and and I would just love to know like what rituals do you have in place do you have a meditation practice in place do you still do yoga every day like how does it look for you yeah so I definitely have rituals and I think that helps um so I always get as much like as much sleep as I need I don't wake up to an alarm um wow that is a life goal for so many people (laughs) it's uh but I don't wake up at a ridiculous time either um I'll tell you what genuinely really helped with that giving up caffeine like I just fell into a like my body fell into a rhythm where my energy levels just became um more naturally regulated I mean I recommend it to everyone and it's so funny because some people are like sounds great and then other people are like leave me and my caffeine alone we're happy together no one asked you (laughs) um but yeah, so there's that. I think that's so funny. I've just started doing a an Instagram uh, live every single weekday morning called Meditation and Coffee. <laughs> and uh, I did I did try to give up coffee once. I did it for 10 days and I felt like it made absolutely no difference to my life. So I went straight back on the caffeine. But I will say, I will say that I, I am willing to admit that I'm probably wrong about that. And also, secondly, you can meditate at my meditation and coffee sessions with decaf coffee I won't judge you yeah so I still have my decaf a few times a day because I enjoy the taste but yeah I think um I mean if I'm being very honest like my motivation to do it was a little it, it was superficial I was like there's no way caffeine is good for your skin <laughs> um so but and I massively noticed the difference in yeah the fact that I felt more hydrated um because of course caffeine is dehydrating um, but I really quickly realized that my energy levels just became more, um, it, my energy just felt more sustainable. I didn't go through those like highs and lows um, throughout the day. And I, I never had the case where like in the morning I was groggy before, you know, before a certain time. So that helped. Um, I really limit my exposure to like artificial lights. Like I try and have like lamps and candles rather than big lights on. Um, I'm really boundaried around how much time I spend in front of a screen. Um, did I say about candles? I'm actually like a real scented candle addict. I spent a small fortune on candles. Um, Amazing. But these little things, like I think uh, we can all bring in rituals into our lives that make us feel more like um, it's almost like our day is like a recipe, right? And we're pulling in all of the things that make us feel like everything is just more delicious. Totally. Yeah, I mean, lighting candles for me definitely has this kind of effect of like almost bookending my day. It's like if I light a candle, somehow I'm like, I don't know. It just feels like a ritual that is so, I don't know, nourishing. Like it just seems to kind of like, okay, I'm making the decision to light a candle, which is really reminding me to look after myself and be kind to myself. And yeah, I completely agree. I get that. And I do do yoga every day. I do practice every day. But I think it's important to say that I do it as I like, as I want to. It's not like it's some regimented thing of, okay, for one hour, I'm going to do this or for half an hour, or I'm going to do this many sun salutations. I just feel into what it is that like I want and what I need and what my body is going to like really get some nourishment from. And then I do that. Like, and like often I spend a lot of time, like also just bouncing around listening to music and like dancing throughout the day. And it's, I think it's those things that, um, I mean, talking about what, you know, inner child nourishment is a whole other conversation, but 
yeah, recognizing what it is that the little you inside of you wants, because usually it's the little you inside of you which is the most wise. 100%. I mean, I've talked about this on previous podcasts as well, but it's like, for people like me, and I know a lot of people are the same, they kind of need the routine, they need to impose a bit of routine on themselves, because otherwise they would just like do nothing. But also they need to remember that it's not another stick to beat themselves with. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. say say that you're going to do yoga every day. But if you feel like missing a day, or you don't do it for a bit, or you only do 10 minutes here and 40 minutes tomorrow, whatever, it's not another thing to make yourself feel bad. Exactly. I think that's so important. It's yeah. not a ritual if you make it a punishment. Oh my God. I love that. What a <laughs> phrase. Brilliant. Okay. Fantastic. Well, I really just want to ask you about that because I, I just think it's fascinating to hear the habits of like, like you say, like peak performance, like highly successful people and like, yes. Okay. It is fine to like take a break from your screen and light a candle. Like that is also fine. I love that. I have candles on my desk. Like, I mean, right now, like I'm sitting to you, sitting sitting at my desk talking to you to get my words out um but yeah I mean there's no reason why and I think this has also been a lesson for a lot of people during the lockdown you don't have to be so boundaried around okay this is work and this is life and this is wellness totally totally it's it's that word holistic which people throw around like candy yeah. but it's it's true like it is it's holistic it's like actually and again, this is something I said on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. It's like, it's not work and then life. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's, it's you as a human being. Like, it's, yeah. the, whole, it's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And when you get to a place where you really are hitting your peak performance, you, whatever you want to call it, peak performance, or you're living your best life, whatever you want to call that state of being, your enlightenment, self-actualization, there are so many words, you know, meaning the same state of being. What you really are experiencing across all of, all of your life is a sense of harmony you're no longer like itching for some sense of balance you just have harmony and it feels good yeah and a word that just came to my mind then when I said that was when you were saying that sorry was like forgiveness like forgive yourself forgive yourself for all of the things being human feels so much easier I love that fantastic well the only thing left for me to ask you is (laughs) Where can people find you if they want to connect with you, if they want to know more about your services, if they want to come say hi? What's the best way to get in touch with Natasha Tiwari? Yeah, totally. I love hearing from people. So if um, if things that we've talked about have resonated, don't feel shy. Like, please do get in touch. So um, I'm on Instagram probably more than is healthy. I love it. <laughs> So on Instagram, you can find me at I am Natasha T. Um, I always have to say it's T for Tawari, like T the letter rather than spilling the tea. Um, (laughs) I love that. Maybe you should have one that's like spilling the Natasha T. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But so yeah, find me on Instagram at I am Natasha T. DM me. Um, Yeah. Let me know if you had thoughts, if things resonated or if you had a question. Yeah. Just hit me up. Don't feel shy. Um. And then if you go to my website, natashatawari.co.uk, Tawari is spelled T-I-W-A-R-I, um, but maybe Hannah, you'll link it in the notes. Yeah, um, I will. But if you go to forward slash badass, I have a little gift for you guys. So it's a bundle around, um, there's a piece in there about how to resolve your anxiety, a piece in there about how to recover from heartbreak, and a piece in there about how to launch and grow a startup. So 
please do take that from me. It was my pleasure to put together for you guys. And then there's also a spot on there where if you want to reach out and have a conversation about how we can work together or exploring possibilities, then there's a little form there for you too. But I would love to hear from you guys. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that you've put together a little bundle of presents for us. That's so exciting. Oh, my pleasure. I love presents. Like, I think presents and gifting is, like, so fun. So it was totally fun for me, too. Oh, my God. I love that. And I totally agree with you. Whenever I have a one-to-one client that signs up for me, I'm like, give me your mailing address because there may be sneaky gifts, perhaps. (laughs) Perhaps. I'm not saying yes or no, but maybe I might gift you something. I don't know. (laughs) So actually, if you don't want the gift, but you would like to hear my musings about like psychology and healing and entrepreneurship and innovation, there's a mailing list you can join too. Oh my gosh, I love it. All of the things. Amazing. Well, Natasha, I feel like I could talk to you about all of the things for hours and hours, but this was such a joy. Thank you so much for being so honest and open and being willing to go to all the different places and talk about all the different influences. And I know that there's so many gems in this conversation so thank you so so much for your time it's been a genuine pleasure talking to you oh me too i've had so much fun if you enjoy this podcast the best way to support it is to hit subscribe and leave a review on apple podcasts or wherever you usually listen so that many other like-minded women just like you and me can discover it and share the word I'd also absolutely love it if you could let me know what your favorite takeaway was from this week's episode. Come and tag me on Instagram at breathe like a badass. You can take a screenshot of the podcast episode that you're listening to, or just come and drop me a DM because let's be honest, I'm on Instagram pretty much every single day and I would absolutely love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. As I say, the best way that you can continue to support podcasts like this and incredible women in business, just like the ones that I interview on this show, is to hit subscribe, leave a review and share. In the meantime, thank you again. And I cannot wait to see you back here for next week's episode. Just remember, breathe like the badass you are and you won't go far wrong.